Now may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and redeemer. We are in a sermon series titled Hungry. We're looking at the different hungers that we all long for in our human condition and how our Christian faith satisfies those hungers. One thing we all hunger for, regardless of your age, religion, where you are, whoever you are, we all hunger for peace. It is a uh, world peace, inner peace, peace with neighbors, peace with family. We all hunger for peace. And I need not tell you, uh, this time of COVID-19, quarantine has not been especially peaceful for some. Uh, loss of work, certainly a disruption to peace. A threat to help, also a disruption of peace. Simply the monotony, uh, the repetition, the endless repetition, uh, and the, the lack of distinction between days is a, a disruption to our lack of peace. If you have not seen the movie Groundhog Day, then put it on your quarantine watch list. The story, uh, the main character played by Bill Murray wakes up every day to the same song played by Sonny and Cher. It's just a continual repetition of the same day. I'm probably not alone in thinking that this season has felt just a little bit like Groundhog Day, where I really can't tell a difference between, I, I like Sundays because I get to wear a collar on Sunday, and I know it's something different, but other than that, the days tend to blur. And at least in the Groundhog Day, before the, the happy end, uh, the stress of endless repetition drives the character to almost despair. So, uh, peace. Peace is something that we all long for. I need not tell you that uh, stress and a lack of peace was, of course, present before pandemic. This is just exacerbated. Uh, my next slide and illustration may be a little bit unnecessary. I was just so fascinated by the story, I couldn't help but uh, share it with you. This is an artist named Sam Winston. He's an England, uh, English-based artist, and this is some of the art he produces. Uh, he, like many of us, again, this is pre-pandemic, he was uh, overwhelmed, uh, too much information, addicted to his phone, unable to sleep, too many distractions, too many pings buzzing and whirring uh, going along around in his mind. And uh, he decided to do something uh, fairly, not fairly, extremely radical about his, uh, his stress level. And he resolved to do four weeks. Note that line, four weeks. What is he going to do for four weeks? He entered complete uh, isolation and seclusion. Not only isolation, not only seclusion, but complete darkness for four weeks. That is 672 hours of no light, no visual stimulus, no outside interaction, and complete darkness and seclusion in a, a desire to, to find peace. Now, it's not going to be any surprise to you that and this is, by the way, recorded in the article, The Whirling Mind, in the most recent uh, edition of 1843, the magazine 1843. The artist uh, confided in the author of that article. He said, look, when you go into darkness and seclusion, you're not, you're not going into a void. You're going into yourself. And a little bit wryly, good luck finding blissful, empty, quiet there. <laughs> Some of the loudest voices are the voices of our own uh inner workings of our mind, and frankly, some of the most unpleasant voices as well. So we never find peace 
out there, this hunger that you and I have for peace, it's not found out there. There is simply too much, too much good, too much bad, too much period. Uh, we don't find peace in there and sort of the, the, uh, the radical steps that that artist took. We don't find peace uh, inside ourselves. According to the Bible, we find peace up there, up there with God in contemplation of God. And that's the subject that we're going to turn to. This is our passage out of Ephesians chapter 1. And the entire first chapter makes a consistent and uh, a coherent argument. So let me draw our attention to it. That's a lot of words. I don't expect you to read it all, but I highlight just these few words from the opening that the author begins with the greeting of peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is a consistent theme throughout the book of Ephesians. Uh, peace with God, peace with one another, and, and the way to peace is presented in the first chapter of Ephesians. Now, again, this is just to set our passage in its context. Uh, the entire chapter one is really two paragraphs. Uh, two paragraphs, each making a, each with a, a common theme. Uh, the, the theme of the opening paragraph is praise, blessed be God, is simply a way of saying praise God. So the theme of the first paragraph is praise, and uh, he praises God for what God has done. Look at those past tense verbs. God has blessed us, chose us, predestined us, lavished his grace upon us. In him we have obtained an inheritance. These are all things God has done and for which he praises God. The second half of the paragraph, our, or second half of the chapter and the paragraph we will look at a little bit more closely is a prayer. And there is the prayer. So the first half praise, second half prayer. And the things that he praised God for in the first half are the things that he prays that God's people will know in the second half. Does that make sense? So I'm trying to set this in context. There's praise of, in the first half and then prayer in the second half. What he praises God for in the first half, he prays that God's people will know in the second half. So that is the context of our passage. Now let's turn to the passage for this morning with a little bit more specificity. I see three points. I see in this passage a prayer for growth. I see the type of growth that uh, the, the author, that's the Apostle Paul, prays for. And I see a way forward to grow, just like Stu referenced. How do we grow in our faith? Stu mentioned some of the ways that he has grown in the faith. Let's look at how the Apostle Paul, some of the ways that he encourages us to grow in our faith. So that's the outline for this morning. Let's jump in. I see a prayer for growth. Let me show you. For this reason, because I have heard so everything, the prayer that follows is based upon the something that the author has heard about the members of the church in Ephesus to whom he is writing. I have heard, and what ha I have heard inspires my prayer for you. So what has he heard? He has heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for the saints. Now those are two very important words, faith in Christ love for one another. You could add 
hope as being the sort of the three big virtues of the Christian faith, faith, hope, and love. Faith and love being the two sort of defining characteristics of the people of God. We find them in numerous places. There are two I've referenced for you. So when the apostle Paul says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is simply saying, I hear that you, the church in Ephesus, you have the two essential characteristics of all, all Christians. You trust in Christ and you love one another. And that's what the word saints means. Saints doesn't mean special super Christians. That means uh, uh, other members, other people who have, who have likewise placed their faith in Christ. Faith and love. And they have it. But notice the Apostle Paul does not say, great, faith in Christ, love for one another, you're done. Uh, no, even though... They, the, this church has, the members of this church have these two vital characteristics. Uh, they, they're not done. The apostle nonetheless prays without ceasing that God may give them more. So they are not fully baked. You and I are not fully baked. No matter how much you know or how little you know, none of us are fully baked. We, so a prayer for growth applicable to whomever and wherever we are. Have you been a follower of Christ for 80 years? You still have more to know. So let's see the type of growth that he prays for. And we move to our second point. May God give you, what is he going to pray that they have or they get from God? Uh, he prays that they will have, look at the, just the theme. This is all interior, uh, wisdom, revelation, knowledge, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know. Don't they know these things? Well, clearly they know them to some degree, but the Apostle Paul is again praying that they know more. So the type of growth is an interior growth of wisdom, understanding, knowledge, revelation the next logical question is wisdom and understanding and knowledge and revelation of what that's a great question i'm glad you asked it may god give you a spirit of wisdom and knowledge of here it comes him god god is the great subject of a christian's deepening revelation and knowledge the 20-year-old Charles Spurgeon said this on January 7, 1855, to his congregation at New Park Street Chapel in Southwark, England. He was 20 years old. I hope by the time I die, I say something nearing the eloquence that he captured at age 20. Let's read this. It has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's people is God. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God, is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doing, the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. God is the great subject of a Christian's deepening knowledge. There is only one question that is more important than what we think of God, and that is the question, what does God think about us? 
And that is the further subject of the Christian's deepening knowledge and revelation. He continues, not only that we may have, may not, that we may have knowledge of him, God, verse eight, 17, verse 18 continues, that we may have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know, moving forward, the hope to which he has called you. His glorious, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now, each one of those three are a sermon illustrate, a sermon in themselves, but sufficient to observe here that each of these three petitions are concerned with how God relates to us. How does God relate to us? He calls us to himself and places a certain hope, the hope of an eternity with him in front of us. He calls us. How does God value us? He values us as his inheritance. How does God care for us with the immeasurable greatness of his power, which is present for us who believe? So back to my outline. The type of growth that the author prays for is a greater understanding, knowledge, and revelation of God and how God relates to us. Make sense? Good. Everyone knows this song, don't you? Regardless of uh, your, your familiarity with church or your presence in worship, everyone knows this song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I think what this passage is encouraging us is into a deeper consideration and reflection. Jesus loves me, this I know, but do you really? Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know that God values you as his glorious inheritance? Let's just pause for a moment on that sentiment that we are his glorious inheritance, which is what verse 18 says. To illustrate this mind-boggling valuation, I heard a preacher say, imagine Bill Gates. He's a bazillionaire. What would you get uh, a bazillionaire for Christmas if you really wanted them to say, wow? They, he's simply too wealthy. There's no, nothing that he can't get. There's nothing that would make him say, wow, that is just great. Now let's push that analogy a little further. What would you get God? What would you put under the tree for God to say, God, this is, you're really going to be excited about what I got you. Well, what is it? Would you believe it is you and me? We are his glorious inheritance. As C.S. Lewis writes, to please God, to be a real ingredient in divine happiness, to be loved, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father and a son. It seems impossible. Doesn't it seem impossible that God would place such a value on us? But yet it is so, a weight or a burden of glory which our hearts can hardly sustain. Jesus loves me this, I know, but do you really? Do you know that you are his glorious inheritance? Jesus loves me. Little ones to him belong. But do you know how firmly he has his grasp on you? Do you know that he has called you, that he has chosen you before the foundations of the world, which is a passage in the, the, the chapter 1, verse 4 that we breathed by? Do you know how firmly he has his, his grasp on you? They are weak, but he is strong, says the children's song. Yes, 
but do you know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? The church in Ephesus knew the child's song, like many of us, and they believe the child's song. The apostolic prayer for them and for us is that we may fully know, we, may we have a spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge, that our eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may know more fully what we can now only partially appreciate. For those for whom this prayer answered, those for whom this prayer is answered, no peace. The biblical path to peace, as we have seen, is not outward in the world. It's not inward in our interior reflection. It is upward in contemplation of God. So to return to that uh, sermon from Charles Spurgeon, he writes this, the subject, the study of God, is eminently consolatory. Oh, there is, in the contemplating of Christ, a balm for every wound. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest seas. Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul and calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief. So speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of God. And it is to that subject that I invite you this morning. To return to our outline, a prayer for growth, the type of growth prayed for, a greater understanding of God. And now the way to grow, I just have to put a caveat. I thought about this. I'm not sure that's the direction I want to take this conclusion. So I did a little bit of rewriting this morning. There, this passage does have some ways for us to grow, and there's some great harmony, um, a very balanced approach. Remember, we started with praise. Uh, it ends with prayer. In this passage, we see the, the, the importance of contemplation and reflection. So I think we can make a three-point application that it is through prayer, praise, and study that you and I grow in our knowledge of God. But rather than spend um, these concluding thoughts on the question of how you grow, I simply want to uh, focus on the question of do you want to grow in your knowledge of God? Here's what I mean. As I've thought about this passage over this week, there are a few things that I know I'm supposed to do as a Christian. I know I'm supposed to trust God. Not that I always do, but I know I'm supposed to. I feel guilty when I don't. Trust God, yes. Worship God, yes. Not always perfectly, but at least I know I'm supposed to. Follow God, yes. Uh, pray to God, yes. Not perfectly, I know I'm supposed to. Uh, believe in God, yes. Uh, but know God. Do you and I prioritize knowing God? In other words, as I, as I look at this list of responsibilities, this knowing God is not high on my list of priorities. Well, I feel guilty if I'm not praying, worshiping. At least I know I'm supposed to do that. Knowing God is simply not on my radar. And I don't know, maybe if this may be uh, applicable to you. And I wonder why we just don't prioritize Knowing God. I wonder if we just presumptively think, well, yeah, I know God. It's God. He's great. He's good. 
Let us thank him for our food. Amen. What is more to know? And I just want to reflect with you as we come to a conclusion that the biblical authors share neither our superficiality nor our complacency. The Apostle Paul, who met the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, who wrote a third of the New Testament, still said, I want to know Christ. Did he not know Christ? Yes. Did he want to know more? Apparently. Uh, the Psalms are full with this petition. Oh God, you're my God, and I seek after you, not so that I can write a sermon, not so, just so I can know you. With my whole heart, I seek you. Moses, who spoke to God in a burning bush, who saw God's wonders in Egypt, still said, show me more. Show me your glory. I simply want to flag our superficial knowledge of God and our complacency with our superficial knowledge of God as being incongruous with the biblical authors. And further, I suggest that our superficial knowledge of God and our complacency with our superficial knowledge of God is no small contributor to our anxiety and our lack of peace. And I'm not suggesting that each of us become theologians and dust off uh, some big dusty books and dive into deep theological waters. But I am suggesting that this week you together, we reconsider the priority that we give to knowing God, period. Not as a means to an end, but as an end in itself. Help me to seek you with my whole heart. Let me invite us together to uh, join in the Apostles' Prayer. God, help me to know you. Open the eyes of my heart to know you. Let's open God's word together in our daily devotions uh, to know God better. Let's open our eyes to his world, to his providential guidance of history so that we may know him. Open the eyes of our hearts so that I may know God and his loving care for me. May God give us a spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge so that we may know. We have a childlike understanding that Jesus loves us. May God open the eyes of our heart so that we may know the extent, the depth, and the breadth of his love. We have a childlike understanding that to him we belong. May God open the eyes of our heart so that we may know how securely we are held by him. We have a childlike understanding of his strength. May God open the eyes of our heart so that we may know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Amen.